Time and again, the world bears witness to truths seldom said. Lend an ear. We promise enlightened, informed conversation. My name is Robert, and this is Seldom Said, the place where conversation matters. Welcome back. This is Seldom Said, the place where conversation matters. My name is Robert. A very eclectic guest today, and a rather Renaissance woman capable of a great many skills, Miss Gabrielle Stone, an actress, an author, a director, a little bit of everything, and everything at a high quality. Welcome to Seldom Said, Gabrielle. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Our pleasure, I can assure you. Can we start with a little bit of personal background, who you are, where you've been, and what's brought you to this time and place in your life? Sure. Uh, I grew up with my mother and father both being in the entertainment industry. My mom is Dee Wallace, who's known for the mother in E.T. and Cujo and The Howling. My dad did lots of TV shows. Uh, He was also in Cujo and The Howling with my mother. And uh, I had a really normal childhood, but I did grow up on set with both of them. I always thought I was going to be in the industry, but it never clicked until I did my first film when I was 19 and realized I didn't want to do anything else. Um, I started acting for many years and still act now. And Two years ago, started directing. So my focus has shifted into that quite a bit as well. And then in 2017, my life kind of exploded in my personal life. And uh, my book came out of that. So now I've added author to my resume. You seem to be quite resilient. When things go wrong, you find another regress. Is that just innate in your personality or something you've learned, uh, unfortunately, the hard way over time? I think I've learned it over time. I mean, my dad passed away when I was sick. It was a really traumatic experience for my mom and I. But even from that early of an age, I saw my mom who was in New Zealand when it happened, filming The Frighteners with Peter Jackson. She flew home uh, on a 24-hour flight, did his memorial, you know, took care of me, packed us up, and we flew back a week later so she could finish filming. So from a very early age, I had a really strong example of what it looks like to move through when everything explodes. Is there some elemental danger or apprehension in portraying oneself on stage or on film and then trying to create a composite with reality, something like the loss of a loved one, unfortunately, tragically, while you're committing yourself to being someone else. Is there an inherent difficulty in that? Um, For me personally, I've actually healed a lot from from my acting work, um, when you get to put on the skin of a character and go and kind of reenact or relive some of those traumas, um, when you get to work them out through through your work and scenes, I I have found personally that there's a lot of healing that takes place during those specific times. Are you a sense memory person, an individual who? reaches back to project forward? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, no, I'm not one of the actors that will drudge up awful memories and sit in it, but I do have a deep well, if you will, of things I can call on to help me get to certain emotional places and help me connect to to certain darker areas to go in my work. The element of creativity 
you've been directing now, telling others, or at least assuming that you're getting the message across to others as to what they should do on screen or on stage. Which do you find more creative? Um, I think they're both creative in vastly different ways. I will always love acting, and I don't think I'll ever necessarily stop, but directing for me has so much more control, and you're able to really create what the viewer ends up seeing on screen and you're able to help these actors cultivate performances and um, decide how aesthetically it's going to look and make sure that the message you're trying to get across is portrayed correctly in a creatively visual way and that's really exciting for me. Do you direct in your mind before you come to the stage and direct actual human beings? Definitely, um, which is also why I don't usually sleep a whole lot before I work. <laughs> How is that done? Uh, I interviewed a number of authors who use that same premise that they go page after page after page and then run to the typewriter and put it down on paper. Do you go through a scene? Do you go through the entirety of the play or film? Do you come in prepared to tell people exactly what to do? Um, I think... I come in prepared and have an idea of where I want it to go and an idea of what I want people to do, but it's definitely a collaborative art form when you're working with actors and, you know, when you trust your cinematographer and you want to be able to let their artistic vision and talent shine through as well. So I go in with a certain level of what I want it to look like, but an openness to also be collaborative and soak up what everyone else has to offer as well. Do you then self-edit? Um, I work with an editor on my films, and it's always nice to have a, a different perspective on the project after you've been so close to it once you get to that stage. But I definitely have a clear vision of how I do or don't want it to look in the edit. Theologians often say that life is just a series of epiphanal moments, high points, low points. Was there a moment in life, that epiphany, if you will, that Damascus moment, when what you're doing now became a life focus, where it wasn't a lark, it wasn't a plaything, it wasn't something that Mother did, it's something you wanted to do? Yeah, and I think it was a book, so I... You know, to give people a little bit of background, I was married for almost two years, found out my husband was having an affair with a 19-year-old for six months, filed for divorce, left. Shortly after that, I met a man, and we fell madly in love with each other, had a whirlwind romance, and he convinced me to go on a month-long trip to Italy with him. 48 hours before we were getting on a plane, he told me he needed to go by himself, and I was absolutely devastated, but... At that point in my life, I had a decision to make, and that was either stay at home and be heartbroken or go travel Europe for a month by myself. So I took a backpack with no plans and went and did seven countries over the span of a month and wrote a book about it. And I knew the moment that he told me he had to go by himself, the craziness that those three months had been in my life, I knew I was going to write a book about it. Um, so I started the book the first day on my trip and wrote all of it in a leather-bound journal. I wrote about three-fourths of the entire book on my trip and finished it when I came home. Um, so that 
life moment, if you will, that you were referring to was, was knowing that I was going to go on that trip by myself and deciding that the story of what I was experiencing in my real life needed to be told so other people could resonate with it and heal from it and learn from, from what I was going through. Do you keep a diary of such events? I didn't. My, and my diary was very much so this book. Um, however, if you open my journal that I wrote all this in, it's not like day one, blah, blah, blah. It's not a journal style. It's, it's very much chapter one. And I was writing the book as it is. Um, if you put the book next to my journal, it's very, very close in the, the same format that it ended up in now that it's published. Traveling that way, it, it is something that students have done. It's, is done. it's something that uh, I, in certain circumstances as a young man, did. Would you do it again? Yes. It was absolutely life-changing. I think everyone should go travel by themselves at some point. I never would have done it if it didn't happen to me. Um, I, I mean, I love to travel, but I usually would go either with a significant other or a girlfriend um, with luggage. <laughs> um, but going by myself and having no plans and really meeting so many new people, so many new people um, on this trip and all these different experiences, it's really life changing, and you truly are able to get in touch with yourself and find out who you are. Get in touch with yourself and find out who you are. Was it possible to get in touch with any singular individual or group of individuals and find out? exactly who they were, or is one just passing through like a breeze on a summer's day? No, I met a lot of people on that trip, many that I'm still in touch with and friends with today. And I think one of the beautiful things about traveling by yourself is that when you meet people, nobody has time to put over the layers and the walls that we put up in normal day-to-day -day society. And you really get to meet people as your authentic self and their authentic self. And because of that, you click a lot quicker and relationships become deeper and further than they would in a normal situation. Did you find a place or a time where you wished you had the time to stay a while? I could have stayed a longer while on that entire trip, um, but definitely Barcelona was one of those places, uh, Amsterdam, Sicily, but it, the whole experience, I, I didn't want to come home from and have been wanting to get back on a plane pretty much ever since. <laughs> a group of students recently told me that they'd love to travel in that fashion, but they were apprehensive about language. They were apprehensive about communication. I was trying to make them understand that English is inferred and or spoken any place on the planet. Did you find that to be the case, or was language a problem? No. To, to manage everywhere with English. Um, while you can go and appreciate and hear all the other languages, and it's wonderful, there was never a place where I felt I couldn't get by not knowing the language. Many argue that successful art is born of trauma, born of pain, difficulty. Do you accept that rationale because it would seem to some degree that's what happened with you. I don't think it's something that has to happen to create amazing art. 
I think amazing art, someone can sit down and just decide they want to create something and it can be brought out of them. Um, in this specific case with me and, and the book, definitely. I mean, it's, it's a true product of pain and heartbreak and loss and a really the most difficult time in my life. Um, so there's definitely certain circumstances where, of course, the really incredible art can rise from the ashes of being disrupted in that way. And in this case, it's definitely accurate. Would you presuppose that creativity is simply an elemental discussion of trust and or the lack of it? I think it's dependent on the person. Um, you know, creatives tend to use the things in their life to to then create art and express themselves. Um, and a lot of a lot of those things that happen and traumas that happen in our life are are based on the trust or the the breaking of one's trust. Um, so I think for some, absolutely. There is that interesting John Kennedy quote, uh, forgive your enemies, but remember their names. Is that uh, the premise of your approach in advising other people how to deal with problems? You know, for me, my greatest lesson in life and something I'm very thankful I was taught by my mother is to always keep your heart open. Uh, if I wouldn't have, if I would have shut my heart off after my divorce, which in any normal circumstance is what I should have done. Um, I wouldn't have met this other man. I wouldn't have fallen in love. I wouldn't have had my heart broken and I wouldn't have gone spent on this wild adventure that now brought me to who I am today. Um, and I think that's one of the most important things we can remember to do is to always keep our heart open. Um, because when we shut down, we're shutting out all these incredible possibilities that the universe is sending our way. And, you know, these experiences that are going to ultimately bring us to where we need to be and change our lives. Your book, uh, Eat, Pray, FML, is one of the most honest things that a reader could find. You're not afraid to be vulnerable. Thank you. Um, no, I I remember when I when I first wrote this, a couple of people that did the pre-read were like, are you sure you want to put all this in here? And do you really not want to change your name? Are you sure you shouldn't take this out? And I said, no, I, I want to put everything that happened as it is in, into this book. There's no embellishments. Lord knows my life doesn't need any added extra drama. Um, and I wanted to be authentically who I was and share this journey because it, as fun as the book is and as much, you know, it's like a Netflix show that you're able to read. It's a lot of, of fun. There's also an incredible amount of healing in it, ways that I healed myself, that techniques people can use to unco uncover subconscious beliefs, ways to love yourself, which is something I was searching for the whole time and really my whole life. And it, in order to do all that and to to resonate with people, you need to be vulnerable and you need to put it all out there. So I knew that I wanted to to accomplish that and put put everything I had into this. And 
you know, it's only been out for a little under two months, and it's been so rewarding seeing all the reviews and all the comments from people that truly deeply have connected with it and, and gotten so much out of it that it's resonated with people. So I think the fear of judgment that comes with being vulnerable, um, that that was not even close to the rewarding feeling I knew I was going to receive once everybody was so being helped by, by my words. Is one of your prerogatives, one of your lessons, milestones, the fact that love must involve a measure of self-conceit? You know, I think self-love is the most important kind of love, and I had been told that for years, and everyone had been saying, you know, you need to love yourself first, and loving yourself is more important than loving another. And I was sitting there going, okay, I'm ready to do that, but nobody can tell me how. Um, no one could clearly give me a, a step-by-step outline of what I needed to do. And I was like, I'm an actress. Just tell me and I'll be able to do it. And so I was searching for how to do that and how to implement that in my life. And um, I'm happy to say I finally figured out exactly how to do that. And I, I call it in my book, The Self-Love Cocktail. And it's a very clear explanation of what you can do in your day-to-day life and how to get to a place of loving yourself. And it's so important and it changed my life. So I made a point to include it in the book so people can take it and resonate with it and hopefully implement it in their life so it can change their lives as well. Again, referring to the title, Eat, Pray, FML, without giving away any of the secrets or points of interest of the book, can you give us a bit of a synopsis as to how one approaches this self-moderation, allowing oneself to put away the trauma and meet the next day head on? Yeah, so I, I write about a technique that I came up with called the thought onion. And it's basically a tool that you can use to figure out what's at the core and what your, your big beliefs are that are driving your actions or your thoughts. So for example... The, the first thought you would have when you're reacting to something is called the superficial thought. And that's, you know, the outer layer of the onion. And when you peel that back, there's the authentic layer, which is kind of the, the memory or the reason that you might be having this reaction or the thought that, that's a little deeper than the superficial layer. And when you pull that back, there's the subconscious thought and the subconscious layer, and that's where the real gold is, where you really realize, oh, this is why I'm having all these reactions, or this is what is making me feel this way. And that's the stuff that you normally need to look at to heal, to then move forward and and make some different choices and changes. Have you always been this strong? It's not an easy thing to do. Um. You know, I have moments of sheer and utter weakness, as I think everybody does. Um, this this book is no exception of that. There's moments where I was walking around Europe feeling like I was on top of the world and could do anything. And there's moments where I would sit and just melt into myself and cry. And it's all part of the healing journey. But I think that there is strength in letting yourself feel all those letting yourself cry and picking yourself back up and, and 
healing yourself from that. Um, so yes, anyone that you talk to that knows me would tell you how incredibly strong I am. I feel that as well, but I think everyone has that strength inside of them. It's just a matter of finding out where it is and how to tap into it. So you do not feel you're the exception. You simply feel you're the rule. Correct. Um, and I think, I think everyone has a little bit of that. It's, it's just a matter of embracing it. You mentioned earlier uh, having childhood experiences on set. That must have been interesting. Were you able to, in a child's mind, separate what you were from watching uh, for what was happening outside the window in real life? Um, yeah, my mom did a really good job of that. Uh, when, when I went to New Zealand with her for the first time to to be on Peter Jackson's set of The Frighteners, I remember her the first scene that I came to watch on set was the opening scene where she's got blood all over her and it's um, she's running and screaming and I showed up on set and they, they walked me over to her and she sat me down on her lap and said, okay, honey, look at mommy's arm. I want you to lick this blood right here. It's just fake. It's corn syrup. <laughs> um, so she, she definitely made it a point to, to show me the acting versus reality world because I, she knew I was going to be growing up in that so much. Um, so I, I think that's part of the reason why whenever I've done horror films in the past as an actress, I've, I've never really been afraid on set because I have such a good understanding of the make-believe first reality. <laughs> <laughs> There's a marvelous quote, uh, perhaps apocryphal, but I think not. Nina Simone was once asked, the great singer Nina Simone was once asked, for her advice for Janis Joplin, and she said she'd best be careful reaching down for those blue sounds. She might hurt herself. Are there roles that are difficult to release from? Absolutely. Um, when I came back from, from my Europe trip, I thought I was pretty okay, and I went and did a film in November that had a lot of parallels to the relationships that I had just gone through and a lot of that trauma. And after doing that film, I kind of hit a wall and was like, oh, um, I'm not really that okay right now and needed to really check in with myself and, and do some more work. So yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of times when, when film art is weird, how it imitates life. So often, um, my mom and I laugh quite a bit about roles that we get that are so parallel to what we're dealing with in our, in our personal lives. And, um, and I think that's the universe's way of allowing us to kind of work through stuff and, and make sure we're fully healing out of anything that we may have gone through. Do you like watching yourself? Uh, in some things, uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot of work that I'm very proud of. Um, I'm not one of the people that's like, oh my God, I can't look at myself on screen. That's, that's never been how, I, how I've been. I've been a performer since I came out of the womb dancing. Um, but, I, but there's definitely projects that I'm more so proud of and, and would love for people to see compared to others, which I'm sure every artist feels. Have you reread Eat? Pray, FML, 
and in rereading it, have you come up with extra pages or extra nuances that you wish were there? You know, I've reread it multiple times through the edit process, and I will say that every time I reread it, I am moved emotionally by something else, and I learn something else from my words, um, which is a really interesting experience. Um, as I've continued on my life for a year and a half after this was written, um, and I have new relationships and new experiences, and I I learn something from my experiences and my words in that book every time I reread it. Um, but no, there's nothing. And this is, I think as an actress and director, I'm always, you know, Oh, I could have done this differently. And Oh, I done like this. Um, this is the first thing in my life, in my professional career that I would not want to change or add or remove anything from it. It very much ended up divinely perfect with what I what I edited, what I cut back on, what I was able to to expand on. It it's very much exactly how I wish the world to see it. Do you feel it's applicable to a screenplay? Yeah, it's being um, it's just beginning to get pitched as a TV series. I think it's too long for, for a film. I think it would be perfect as like a 10 episode limited series on a streaming platform. Um, so that's definitely a possibility and we'll see how people take to it and if it finds a home. Perhaps an odd question, but would you be willing to play yourself? I would be willing to if it was if it needed for some reason to happen, but I would prefer to direct it and produce it and make sure that it gets brought to the screen in the right way. Um, you know, I've, I've lived it and then I wrote about it. I don't think I need to portray it on screen. Um, so I, I would prefer to direct it um, if I had my choice. You'd rather life wasn't repetitive, I assume. My what? I assume you would rather life wasn't repetitive another day, another adventure. Uh, right, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this idea of self-expression and artistic endeavor, there are some who would argue that we're all actors and actresses. Langston Hughes had a marvelous quote uh, in a poem he wrote about people wearing the mask, especially as an African-American gentleman. Do you feel that we're all, to some degree, players on our own stage, not to paraphrase Shakespeare, but is there a truth in that? Absolutely. I think in our day-to-day -day life, people put on different versions of themselves for different people they're interacting with. And I mean, the best example is when someone you know really well that's talking how you and I are talking right now suddenly gets on the phone with an authority figure or someone they're trying to really make a good impression on and their voice suddenly changes and they're up here in their higher octave now. Um, so I think in, in our day-to-day -day life, people put on different versions of themselves to, you know, accomplish different goals or please different people. And that was one of my things that I loved so much about solo traveling is I felt like that all dropped away and you just met people as they were. 
There are so many things being exposed and discussed in the media in regard to uh, women's rights, the women's movement, the Me Too movement, and so forth. Do you feel that, in a sense, what is happening is a healthy scenario for the future? And if so, why? I think it's been a long time coming, and I think I'm, I'm very glad as an artist and a director to be in the industry during this time when people are, you know, finally taking a stand and saying time's up and getting on a more equal playing field. I think we still have a little ways to go, but it's, it's to me, I, I grew up in such a um, loving home where everyone was equal, no matter their gender or their sexual preference or um, the color of their skin. It, everyone was just equal. Uh, in my eyes. So to live in a world and realize that that's not the case and, um, and that, you know, women have had to push and to work to get on that equal playing field is kind of mind boggling to me. And the fact that it's taken this long is, is so sad. Um, and I'm, I'm happy that the tides are finally changing and, we're, we're coming into a time where people are taking a stand and, and really celebrating how, how much women have brought to our world, our industry, and it's, a, it's an exciting time. Shirley Chisholm, uh, the first uh, African-American congresswoman from her area in Bedford-Stuyvesant, was once asked what is harder, being the first of your race in the House of Representatives of being a woman, and she said, no question, being a woman. Do you subscribe to the strength of that statement? I'm hit by that statement, and I think it it says a lot. Um, but, you know, I've, I've been very lucky in the sense of how I've grown up and how I've lived my life, and I started directing in this industry once our movement had started. Um, so I personally yet have not been met with any negatives on the fact that I'm a woman. Uh, but, you know, it just, it really makes you take a step back and look at our world and how things need to, to adjust and, and to change, but we're trying to change things that should be a given in the first place. That's an interesting premise. So in a sense, you're pointing out the wrongs rather than positing the rights, or doing both at the same time? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of doing both at the same time. Intriguing. The idea of mentioning in your book common humanity amongst all of us, would you take the position that one of the lessons of your book is that humanity is a generic. We tend to categorize by gender, by race, by affectation, and so forth. But I have the impression that you would argue that it's simply a reflection of the world at large. Sorry, can you rephrase that? I want to make sure I'm clear before I answer your question. <laughs> most certainly, most certainly. When we talk about human beings, we live in a world that categorizes by gender, by race, by background, I have the impression from your book and your conversation 
and your attitudes that you argue that humanity is generic, we're simply that stuff of which humanity is made, and we're all the same. There's a statement made by uh, an actor whose name uh, escapes me at the moment, it'll probably come to me later, but he argued that after having a heart attack, he was, he was moved by the fact that as an African-American man, the parts of a human being were interchangeable, and his transplant came from a Caucasian. One would argue we've lost the way. Would you posit that premise that life is simply life, and there are no labels to it? Oh, absolutely. I That's how I was raised. That's how I view the world. That's how I hope and wish everyone could one day come together and view the world. Um, it's It shouldn't be about anything on on the outside that you can see the, your race, your sexual preference, your gender. It's, we're all human. We're all made up of the same things. Um, we all have the differences that should be recognized and should be, you know, either celebrated or, you know, looked down on if they're negative are the things inside of us that's what makes us different is our, our emotional capacity and the way we handle things and our, our hopes and our dreams and our highs and our lows. Those are the things that make us different. And those are the things that should be recognized by other people as differences. Do you feel then, Gabrielle, that there's the seeds of an activist in you? Yeah, in ways. Um, I'm, I have deep, intense passions for for certain things in my life and if those are ever challenged then the activist in me definitely comes out um so yeah potentially the seeds are there i think for sure would they presuppose an eventual step into politics or the arena i don't think so i am definitely very much try to keep myself um, well-educated um, but removed as possible from politics. Uh, it's just never been my uh, my happy place, if you will. <laughs> um, so that's, I, I'm going to say no on that one. <laughs> so be it, so be it. I won't wait in abeyance. It's not going to happen then, at least not at this moment. <laughs> Living for the moment then, whether traveling, whether acting, whether writing, that is your coda of honesty, correct? Yeah, yeah, living in the moment and keeping your heart open and and going where the universe takes you. You know, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason, and my story and my book is a huge testament to that. And I think it's, it's really important to recognize when things are put in your life and put in your path and why they're there to teach you. Have you read a book, a character, watched a movie, perhaps of an approach to act in one or write about one, who you feel is a reflection of yourself? Oh, that's interesting. Um, well, I mean, the book is is about myself, so it's very much so 
is I was writing, you know, me, I guess, to people that read it from an outside perspective, I then become a character. But as far as in a film that I've portrayed, um, I did a movie called Swell. And while the character had a lot of other elements that I don't identify with, um, a recovering drug addict and um, had was definitely more girly and foo-foo for lack of a better word than I was. Um, a lot of the realness in her and her relationships with her friends and the, uh, the dry sarcasm that she embodied had a lot of me in it. So that was a really fun character for me to kind of weave myself into more than I normally do. What is it? Was it easier writing about yourself than it might have been to research a character and try to put yourself into it? Oh, 100%. I mean, they always say, write what you know, and I was writing literally my life as it was happening to me. Um, I would experience things in Barcelona and write them, you know, a few days later. So it it was this book was the easiest and hardest thing I've ever done, but it, it quite literally just came out of me. Um, I had never written a book before. I, I didn't know any specific formats or whatnot. And it really just, it was like, it was meant to, to come out. (laughs) So it was there and you simply brought it forth. Right. That's, That's intriguing. There's a a marvelous quote in regard to Michelangelo. He was asked how he sculpted, and he said, there's a character in the marble. I just let it out. So we seem to be arguing the same thing. There's a character on the page. I simply have to place him there. Yeah, and and that's exactly how I feel about it. Um, It, uh, I mean, it was, again, happening to me and real life, instances that I was writing about, but um, as far as the words that needed to be there to really get everything across the right way and resonate with people, it just flowed out. It was very natural, like it was supposed to be here. Was it a kind of personal journalism? Um, in a way, but like I said, from from the moment I left, it wasn't, oh, I'm just going to journal about my thoughts, and it was, I'm going to write a book. Um, and I knew that I knew that I wanted to publish it. I knew that I wanted people to see it. I knew that it was going to help a lot of women and men um, heal themselves and and go on a crazy fun journey, but learn how to love themselves at the same time and be able to to start looking at a lot of their relationships in their life and how they can can heal from those as well. Do you identify yourself at this stage? in your creative life as an author who happens to act or as an actress who happens to write? You know, I'm still getting used to calling myself an author. Um, it, it's a little foreign to me, but, um, you know, with the, the amount of books that have sold this, this first month and a half and the response that I've gotten, I can't really not own that title now, (laughs) which is, really great and really humbling. Um, 
so I think I think I'm I'm coming to terms with being a mixture of all of it and just kind of being an artist because I think that umbrellas over the acting, the directing, the writing. Your life seems to be a rather attractive porridge. It's nice to hear and listen to. The title itself, (laughs) the title itself, Eat, Pray, FML, while maintaining a certain measure of decorum so we maintain our license as well, can you tell us where the title came from? Yes. So for those that don't know the, um, I guess you would call it a millennial acronym, uh, FML stands for F My Life, and it is obviously a satirical play on the infamous Eat, Pray, Love, because this was my version of that journey. Um, But there was a lot less love and a lot more FML (laughs) in my my experience. (laughs) Is there a second book that you flirt with in which the tables are turned and the sun is always rising? There's definitely the material for a second book. I, it's in my, it's in my brain. Um, I've been getting asked constantly about it. So it's definitely being stewed upon, if you will. Um, but you know, these, this was real life and these are real people. They're not just characters. And a lot of those characters in the first book continue on into what would be book two. So, um, I definitely have to make sure that everybody is okay and on board with it before I fully commit to to a second one. But it's definitely there, so it's a good possibility. How long did it take you to write Eat, Pray, FML? Uh, I wrote the whole thing in three months. So I did. I wrote most of it on my trip, which was but obviously I wasn't just writing on that trip. I was out living and exploring and making bad decisions and making good decisions. Uh, And I came home, transferred all of that from my journal into my computer and then finished it, whatever I hadn't written about it. So in total, I wrote the entire thing in three months. And then obviously, you know, paired with an editor and did a bunch of edits and um, trimming and expanding and really like getting it to the place that it is now, um, which I, I took my time doing for about a year. But yeah, I wrote the whole thing in three months. That's incredible. You then do rather like to write than dictate. Yes. Yeah. And I, it wouldn't have been the same for me if I would have had my laptop on the trip. It was very therapeutic to be able to sit there and hold a a journal style book and, uh, and write, you know, hand write everything. It was, it was really like it was therapy for me. In writing the book, do you ever take the position, Gabrielle, that mistakes can be repetitive and therefore deserving of criticism rather than reinforcement? Um, that's an interesting answer. So I believe that mistakes can be repetitive. I don't believe in punishing yourself for that. I believe that when those mistakes happen and people will read about them in this book where, where I make decisions or mistakes, if you will, that are indicative of old belief systems that I had and falling back into old patterns that are comfortable. And those are the ones where 
you can check yourself and say, okay, this is happening and this is a pattern that I have. What's at the core of this pattern? And that's when you implement tools like the thought onion where you say, okay, this is the superficial layer. This is the authentic layer. What's at the subconscious layer of this that's driving me to continue falling back into this pattern? And how can I now adjust that and heal that so that I can move on a different path? Does that thought onion ever lead a personality to a core where in a sense one could take the position that this is their essence, cannot be compromised, cannot be changed? I think that it can take you to your essence, but one always has the choice to then look at that and say, I want my essence to be refined to what's going to be for my highest good. And we always have free will to change and adjust within ourselves. Um, so I think, yes, you can get to the core of your essence, but there are things that orbit that that you can you can direct into different ways to, to change for your highest good. So we take the position that we can only remake ourselves with the material we're given. I think you can remake yourself as much as you choose to, not necessarily with the material you're given with, you know, if you decide you want to do something, if you put your mind to that, you can create that. Um, so I think our possibilities are really limitless. I, it's society that puts those limits on us and teaches us that we can only achieve so much or we're only given this. So how could we ever do this? Um, but I think that's, that's all external things that are put on us. I think we are limitless in what we can create if we, if we choose to, to view it that way. Where do you place spirituality or something beyond oneself? Your book premises almost an inner light, a Buddhist type of belief where you're your own strength. Is that the way you would subscribe to it, or do you feel there's outside forces, there's destiny, there's tomorrow, there's wish, there's luck? I think it's a mixture of all of that. Um, I'm very spiritual. I grew up in a very spiritual household. My mom is not only an actress, she's a world healer and does private sessions with people all over the world every day. And I think that's why there's so much of that that comes through in my book. Um, but I, I believe that it's a mixture of everything. I think there's amazing things that we create for ourselves, but there's also, I definitely believe in, in a higher power and that would, that there's divine things that happen and that everything happens for a reason. I mean, just looking at the story of Eat, Pray, FML is a testament to that. I mean, I found out my husband was cheating, left my house after a shocking divorce that no one saw coming. If it wasn't for that situation, I would not have met the man I met after. Um, would not have had my heart broken, would not have been forced to go on this trip by myself, would not have met all the people that I met on that trip that changed my life. And um, so, yeah, I mean, there's no way you can look at that situation and say, oh, that was just by chance. I mean, everything chronologically happened so that I could get to the next place to learn something or heal myself or grow from that. Um, it's, 
it's very divinely universal, in my opinion. Your mother's description of herself as an actress, an author, a healer, was fascinating conversation, as is this one. Have you inherited any of those traits or abilities? Um, yeah, I think I think I have, and I I grew up so close to my mom that it was a given that some of it was going to to rub off on me. But um, the first time my FML, she was kind of still in shock. She was still dealing with the emotions she had around the divorce and the relationship after. And the second time she read it, which was in its final form, how it was printed, she was just very, very proud. And I remember she called me after she read it and was like, you know, I'm so blown away because I was doing work with a bunch of my clients and everyone kept bringing up self-love and was saying, you know, we just don't understand really how we're supposed to do it. And my mom was like, I was trying to figure out a way that I could clearly explain that. And lo and behold, I finish your book and it's the answers that I'm looking for are right there in my daughter's words. Um, So I think it's definitely translated into my life and my work and and I, I, I'm really grateful for that. Do we overuse the term marriage? It seems as if Eat, Pray, FML is a marriage with life in general. Do we posit the title too often? Would you consider marriage in your future? No, oh, yeah. I'm, like I said, I'm, I won't ever shut my heart off to the world, to friendships, to relationships. So i I'm totally open to marriage in the future. I'm not, it's not something that I need. Um, I can tell you that if I ever do get married again, it will not be the ridiculous production of a wedding I had the first time around. I'll just, you know, you can tell me where to be and I'll show up in a dress looking great at a specific time. Um, but, uh, but no, I'm, I'm by no means did that unfortunate situation with my ex-husband taint uh, marriage in any way for me. I'm still very grateful for my marriage and how I learned so much from it. And I'm really thankful to have gotten out of it when I did. Public speaking in the future? Continuously? Potentially. Um, I mean, I'm so passionate about this book and the, the words that make it up that I I would be happy to to speak on it to to anyone that was interested in in listening about it so potentially yeah if we click our heels blink twice and make a wish and you're talking to your own daughter at whatever the age how would you posit the lessons of the book to a child keep your heart open and know that everything happens for a reason. It's just about finding out what that reason is. Everything happens for a reason. Nothing is by chance. Nothing is from a mistake. Am I overdoing the comparisons? No, I think there's different levels on it for for different experiences. Um, I, I don't think necessarily the casual encounters you have but the things that happen in our lives that 
deeply affect us or make us feel a certain way or change a certain perspective um, or hurt us or make us super happy, those are all happening for a reason. Are there articles I would presume you'd like to write, books you'd love to edit, and roles you'd love to play? Um, I don't think I would ever want to write or edit a book that wasn't my own. Um, I, I think the Eat, Pray, FML turned out the way that it did because it was mine and it was my story. It wasn't a work of fiction, um, but never say never. And um, as far as acting and directing, I just want to tell very real and very moving stories um, that are going to make people feel something. So whatever that is on an original, fresh level, I would be interested in doing. Would you ever approach writing or acting as a discussion of what is on the opposite side of the coin, if there is love there must of essence also be despair or anger. Um, absolutely. I think any situation that we deal with in our lives has two sides to the coin. Um, and that's part of what makes it life and, and the depth that we, we have to navigate through, through the different sides of it all. Is healing perchance simply an enhanced way to observe oneself? Hmm. I think as far as observing yourself, it's about going inward and being able to look at, the, again, the different layers of yourself that really makes up the, the inner workings of why we do the things that we do. Dr. Martin Luther King had uh, a very interesting quote he once said that Christ gave him the message and Gandhi gave him the method. Has your approach to your life and its issues made you a pacifist in your confrontation with what is wrong? Um, I think for me personally, the way I don't let my experiences or certain things that have affected my life in a positive or negative way dictate how I'm going to move forward in the future. So I, I try and not categorize that and keep it as each individual thing that happens, looking at it at face value for how it is and how I feel about it emotionally in that moment and choosing to do with it what feels best at that time, if that makes sense. <laughs> it most certainly does, as the book makes a great deal of sense as well, and one would recommend it highly. Has publicizing the book uh, involved your traveling, perhaps, to this metropolitan area itself, to New York, to the East Coast, throughout the country? Um, I'm, I mean, I've been to New York. Uh, oh, you mean like as far as in promoting the book? In promoting the book, presenting self, letting people see the author? Right. Um, I am totally open to that. I haven't yet been offered to do that. You know, it's only been out for about a month and a half. So we're we're really just kind of waiting to see how it catches on and where it ends up taking taking me. Um, I did self-publish it, so it's available exclusively on Amazon in paperback and e-book. Uh, e and um, so it's really just about what what people end up wanting. 
at that point um, because I'm not with a traditional publisher. I I wanted to make sure I was able to keep the book in its authentic form the way I wanted it to be. Um, I wanted the cover to look the way that it looked, and I was very particular at how this piece of myself went out into the world, and self-publishing was the best way to make sure that was all intact. Um, but I'm I'm definitely very open to to going and getting it out the in additional ways and um, and see where it goes. To the young woman in the listening audience, or the young man for that matter, who wishes to put their thoughts to paper, who wishes to find out that they're not alone, do you feel there's a book in everyone? I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not everyone, so I I don't know what everyone's capacity necessarily is. I would say if people are looking and wanting to write, write about what you know and sit down and just let it flow out. It doesn't have to be in a book form when it first comes out. You just have to get the the information and the thoughts out onto the paper. And as far as being alone, that was one of the biggest fears that I had growing up when I was a little girl. And when I found out I was going on this trip by myself, I knew it was happening for a reason because I knew it was going to go make me face that head on. Um, and I'm happy to say that what I learned from that month's trip is that we are never really alone. I'm not everyone. That posits the premise of this entire arrow, that I'm speaking to someone who truly knows and has found who she is. Do you have any final thoughts in this 30 seconds we have left in what has proven to be a marvelous conversation? seems to be a family trait. Some final thoughts. Um, yeah, anyone that's, that's listening that wants to find themselves and feel that power within knowing themselves and, and feel that strength, it's, it's in you, and you can find that. It's just a matter of deciding that that's who you want to be and creating yourself that way. Well put, the guest today has been Gabrielle Wallace-Stone, an author, a director, an actress, a person who's able to put her life on a page and allow all of us to read it, discern it, understand it, and perhaps make it as our own. I thank you, Gabrielle. This was a marvelously entertaining hour. I so enjoyed it. Thank you for the lovely question. It's our pleasure. Be well, and hopefully we'll hear from you again. Absolutely. I would love that. Thank you. The program has been Seldom Said. My name is Robert. Our guest has been Gabrielle Stone. Be with us next time. (laughs) 